back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And regardless of how many episodes we put out per year, I always hear from listeners talking about eating habits. Could you do a program on why I overeat? Could you talk to me about stress eating? Why is eating so complicated in our modern day world? I am so excited to welcome you to the show, Dr. Frank Patty. He is a member of Overeaters Anonymous and is also going to talk to us about some of the psychological ramifications of this particular disorder. Dr. Patty, it's so good to see you. How are you? Uh, thank you, Sheila. I appreciate being able to be here and to meet you. And today's a good day. Yeah. Well, tell me your personal story, first of all, as an overeater. Okay. Um. When I was um, out of college, um, I went to UCLA undergrad, moved out with some buddies. We lived in Hermosa Beach. I started dating a girl who was a normal body weight, and she had some particular ways about her relationship to food that were unlike anything that I'd heard before. Mm. Um, And so she introduced me to this Overeaters Anonymous thing. And I thought that was a nice supportive thing for her. I was glad she was doing it. I didn't see a need for myself. Um, However, over time, I found that um, there was a lot this program offered that could be useful to me. And did you um, find that when you were listening to some of the advice and some of the stories that there was anything that you could relate to in what the people were saying and telling well, I didn't go to a meeting probably for another another 10 years. I was in graduate school pursuing a marriage and family therapy master's degree. And we did a unit on addiction. And they said that, you know, when you get out there and you start helping people, people a lot of people are in recovery or need recovery. So go to three or four meetings, see what it's like, so you can at least speak the language. I looked over the list and I go, oh, look, they've got one on food. Oh, I could perhaps use that. I was a little overweight. And so I found one that worked within my schedule. And I went there and I told them, I'm just here because I'm doing a paper for school. And afterwards, there's this thing called fellowship, which is they go out for coffee afterwards. And so, you know, I gave him that that line about, you know, paper for school. And somebody asked me, well, okay, paper for school aside, do you do anything with food that you're either embarrassed about or just just not really happy with? Mm. And I said, well, it was recently Thanksgiving. We were all cleaning up. I was in the kitchen and I got caught eating a whole pumpkin pie, Mm. putting a plate to my mouth, scooping it in, and somebody walked in, and that was pretty embarrassing. And this guy asked me a follow-up question, and he said, what else did you have? And I go, oh, these people get it. They know what it's like to do sneaky things with food where it almost doesn't count unless someone else sees it. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of 12-step programs talk about, denial, the stuff that's true, the stuff that we know about but we're just not facing. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating to me because if you look at you, you look like you're in terrific shape. You look like you are of normal weight. So are you saying that you are looking at your practice almost like an alcoholic looks at drinking? You will always be a disordered eater? 
Absolutely. And there's hundreds of 12-step programs. There's Narcotics Anonymous, there's Gamblers Anonymous, there's Al-Anon for people in relationship with with someone who's drinking troubles them. There's Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the mothership. Overeaters Anonymous, we all, all of them use the same 12 steps with the exception of one word in step number one. We admitted we were powerless over, and then it may say alcohol or food or gambling or um, self-debting, and that our lives had become unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Then steps two through 12 are identical through all of the 12-step programs. Wow. Well, Bill Wilson started Alcoholics Anonymous in 1939. And we read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in OA, Overeaters Anonymous. And at first I was a little offended. It's like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, why am I reading a book about alcoholics? And what I've learned is that I ate like Bill Wilson drank Mm. in a sneaky, cunning, baffling way that was shaving off areas of my life in favor of serving the addiction. Do you have any theories as to the psychological underpinnings of someone who develops a disordered eating pattern? You know, there is a line in the big book that talks about that the reason for the illness is unimportant. Mm. However, there are trends that people talk about. Many people were raised in normal, happy, healthy families, but I don't know very many of them. Many of us, myself included, there was drama, there was chaos, there was anger, there was out of control circumstances, and some of us gravitate to food for comfort. I think this is the thing that brings all the 12-step programs in alignment, is that we develop a relationship with a behavior or a substance that brings us ease and comfort. Mm. And once you cross over the line from, I like how food tastes, I like how I feel when I've had a good meal, to I will give up other things in order to continue to hurt myself with food. Mm -hmm. Because the initial ease and comfort is true, but that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. Ease and comfort at a cost. How is overeating different than, say, bulimia? Well, the central figure is disordered eating. Many times we start off as overeaters, get very fearful of gaining weight, and some people restrict, and some people binge, and then they get rid of their calories. Mm. Um, One of the things that I used to do was excessive exercise. Mm. So the term is exercise bulimic. The problem is I had to work out so hard to undo the calories that I kept injuring myself in the gym. And, you know, normal eaters um, eat and are able to stop. And what I've discovered is that just like alcoholics don't swear off all liquid, just the fermented kind. As a compulsive overeater, I don't swear off all food. I swear off the foods that ignite a craving that I then can't stop. By way of example, I've never had a good donut experience. Yeah. Because once I have one, it ignites the pleasure principle in my brain. 
and I keep going after more and more. And being full isn't even a conversation. It's that the ease and comfort that each dose brings is what keeps bringing me back. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that you say that too, just because of the physiological changes that are occurring with so much insulin being pumped. And then all of a sudden, of course, you're crashing because you have had too much of the sugar all at once. So you've combined this deeply um, disturbing psychological impulse with a physiological crash. And so I can imagine after something like that, you feel quite shameful and quite horrible physically. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me that shame has such a big part to do with overeating because people who self-isolate, who don't want other people to see them eat, must feel ashamed of doing it. And so do you have to go unpack where the shame comes from? How shame is a useless, useless emotion? Do you have to go through that kind of thing, Frank? Well, there are the 12 steps that I talked about. And we're not trying to answer the question, where did it come from? Because it's not useful. Mm. No, I'm going to keep talking about the big book. Nowhere in the big book does it say, and then we shared our feelings. What it says in the big book is that every time there's an insight, it's followed by a recommendation to take action. Ah, good idea. It's what you do is more important than how you conceptualize it. Okay, so let's take an example. You have a an insight that you tend to overeat when your bossy sister comes to visit. Yes. What is what is the prescribed action that one would take after they've made that insight? Well, you know there are 12 steps and they we roll them out in order for a reason. And what we look at in step 1 is that we are powerless over food and that our life had become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And so once you're powerless over food, you're always powerless over food. But the areas of your life that had become unmanageable can rebound with working a simple program of recovery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in step one, we admit that there's a problem. In step two, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Mm-hmm. And if insanity is doing what doesn't work again mm-hmm. and again, then sanity is doing what works. Mm-hmm. So an example of the sanity in my life is that I've written out a list of my alcoholic foods mm-hmm. that I can't eat them like a gentleman. And mm-hmm. so I don't eat them. Mm-hmm. And offender number one is sugar. Mm-hmm. And so that's on my um, alcoholic food list. So step one, I've got a problem. Step two, there's some guy in the sky. And the interesting thing is that, and this is brilliant, that you don't need to believe in a prepackaged deity. You don't need to join a church. There's not a lot of dogma. The most important thing is this power greater than yourself is not you. Mm. And so for some people, their higher power is the ocean. Mm. or the wisdom of the group. Mm. If you and I were in the car together, we got a flat tire. If neither of us had changed a tire before, 
putting our heads together, we'd come up with better solutions than if either one of us did it alone. You know, unless you have a big background in tire changing, I don't. (laughs) Okay, so in step three, we make a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of a power greater than ourselves, as we understand this power. Mm-hmm. So I believe it or not, I'm still trying to answer your question. So I, then, I, listen, I'm loving okay. this because okay. I, 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 I'm very interested in each of these steps. So then in step four, we take a searching and fearless moral inventory. And we're looking at our part in our conflicts. When the bossy sister comes to visit, if I have resentments about the multiple times she didn't do things the way I thought she should have, um, I need to take ownership for my part in the conflict. This isn't a way to weasel a confession and apology out of another person. Hmm. Because one of the things it says in the big book is that resentments are the luxury of a normal eater. And when we harbor resentments, that turns in returning to food in a pathological way. Mm. So we need to find ways to work through conflicts with other people, riding herd on our expectations. And one of the things I've discovered is that people in my world do what they do. Always. They do what they they do what they (laughs) do. You're not changing them. But yet they're going to do what they do. And it's rarely personal. As a marriage and family therapist and as a doctor of psychology, I've studied Dr. Timothy Leary. Yeah. Now, now Dr. Leary lost a lot of credibility with his LSD experimentation. But Mm. before that, he was world renowned for boiling down all human behavior to one of two motivators, to increase self-esteem or to reduce anxiety. Everything I do is toward one of the two ends, with the exception of benevolent love. You know, you see, you see someone in need and you ask, can I be helpful? Mm. You, you walk upon your, your toddler who's struggling trying to tie their shoes. Sweetie, do you need help with that? Mm. You know, there's that benevolent love. But everything else, mm. you know, wearing the sticker that I donated or telling someone off or whatever, it's increased self-esteem, reduce anxiety. And nothing reduces my anxiety better than a big hit of alcoholic food. Mm-hmm. Followed, yeah. followed by the demoralization of having given in again. I'm sure, Dr. Patty, that um, just because the the way that you described overeating is so similar to alcoholism, to drug addiction, um, especially in the the shame need cycle is is that people kind of almost know when it's coming on. Do you know what I mean? They can feel that ramping up of excitement, the chase to get the food, the chase to be alone, to overeat, the chase to have the experience that they are satiated. And the part nobody wants is the self-loathing, correct? Right. So do a lot of people who have given up alcohol, then turn to food because food serves the same cycle? Do you see my question? <laughs> you know, it's it's a brilliant question that I've seen quite often. What I see is people who come into Overeaters Anonymous 
very proud of their decades of sobriety in another program. Mm -hmm. And they're having a real problem with putting down the food. Yeah. And they say food's so much harder, you know, with alcohol, you can never drink again, but you can't do that with food because you do have to eat. I remember telling a sponsor once that, you know, come on, a guy's got to eat. And my sponsor said, yeah, but not like that. And so I think whatever sobriety you experience first, your compulsion can surface in other areas. And there's no rollover minutes. You know, the things that you learn in 12-step program A are not going to fix the issues in 12-step program B. So people that work more than one program, our little pet name, people say, I'm a double winner, which is I'm working more than one 12-step program. (laughs) That's awesome. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Frank Patty about the group Overeaters Anonymous, which I didn't know existed until today. And I am so unbelievably happy to meet you, Dr. Patty, because I can use this as a reference for so many friends who are struggling. One of the things that keeps coming back to my, you know, my curiosity is the idea that there must be some lack of intimacy that people feel otherwise they wouldn't want an external thing to fill that need. Do you understand what I mean? I understand what you what you mean, and I and I don't know that that's ever been proven uh, scientifically. Huh. It's it's one of those theories. Yeah. And what they often talk about in twelve step programs is that if a cucumber becomes a pickle, mm-hmm. it can never become a cucumber again. Mm. Once you cross that line from oh I love food but I'm so stuffed to it's now a solution for me. Mm. You can't go back to a recreational relationship with food. Oh, how interesting. Um, And people who can, we don't meet them. Mm -hmm. They don't seek help. And at some point, I hope that we get to talk about what happens in meetings. What does happen in the meeting that is so beneficial to people who are members of this group? The the one thing I want to say is, well, how do you find meetings? Before the pandemic, um, you can always find AA at a clubhouse like the Alano Club. Mm-hmm. And they had all these wonderful, beautiful in-person meetings. And then COVID becomes known to the world and we all retreat to Zoom. Mm-hmm. And Zoom is a poor substitute for an in-person meeting, but you don't catch a virus on Zoom. So what people do is they go to overeatersanonymous.org Mm-hmm. And and you click on the thing for find a meeting near me. The other thing you could do is, you know, let's say you're in Boulder, Colorado. So you'd go into Google and put Overeaters Anonymous, Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Click on it and there will be a button that says find a meeting. And they will be listed by days of the week and times. And there's different types of meetings. Some of them are speaker meetings where somebody shares their experience, strength, and hope with recovery. You know, probably one of the first things I should have said is that I don't speak for Overeaters Anonymous. I'm not a spokesperson. Yes, I'm not of course. Payroll. You know, what I have is my experience here. Mm-hmm. So when you go to meetings, other people will do something similar. They will talk about how they found the program, what it was like before, what happened, and what's happening now. So that would be a speaker meeting. 
Um, sometimes they're on Zoom. Sometimes they're in person. So you go in there. The second word of all the 12-step programs is anonymous. Mm -hmm. Anonymity really matters. Yeah. Um, and the mothership is Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and the idea that somebody would think you're an alcoholic could be career ending. So they didn't lose their, they didn't use their last name. What we've discovered, kind of a refinement of the anonymous concept. I'm welcome to use my last name. I'm welcome to break my anonymity. As long as I make it very clear, I'm not the spokesperson for OA. Yeah. You see a lot of celebrities that become the spokesperson for this diet or this way of losing weight. Mm -hmm. And then everybody says, oh, they're getting fat again. See, it doesn't work. You know, well, you know, I've taken off and kept off 75 pounds, wow. but I've also gained weight in program. And that doesn't mean the program doesn't work. It means this is what my recovery looks like. So in meetings, people will talk. There's usually a timer you know, where they give you three minutes to talk and a minute to wrap up. And many people will share on the topic that the speaker gives. That's a speaker meeting. Mm -hmm. They've got other meetings that the theme is writing mm -hmm. or they're a, they're a literature study where they read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or the 12 steps and 12 traditions of either AA or OA. Many times people celebrate various lengths of recovery. You know, how long have you been abstinent as you may define it? 30, 60, 90 days, six months, nine months, one year, multiple years. And then people share, this is what worked for me. And what newcomers get to do is sit there and listen and make a decision. Could this program be helpful for me? Do I want what these people talk about? Yeah. And they recommend you try six meetings because they're all different. Yeah. And almost nobody is on the payroll. We pay someone to do our taxes, but you don't get paid for speaking. And Dr. Patty, do people also have, uh, similar to what they have in Alcoholics Anonymous, a buddy that they can call if they feel tempted to overeat to help walk them through what's going on? It's recommended that people get a sponsor. Yeah. For how it works for me is my sponsor has taken me through all 12 steps We've written out the alcoholic foods and alcoholic food behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and then we read the big book together and discuss it and work the steps. But your sponsor is not your only person who you call. You meet people in meetings. And, you know, when I see a new person in the meeting, either at the break or afterwards, hi, I'm Frank, um, you'd mentioned that you were new. How was this tonight for you? How, um, do you have any questions? Mm. Can I answer anything for you? One of the things I do is I make outreach calls. Would you like to exchange phone numbers? And then we call each other. And, you know, when you have the desire to overeat, one of the things that they recommend is call someone before you overeat. Mm -hmm. Now for our anorexic and bulimic members, it's not just overeating. For many of them, they restrict and don't eat at all. Or they overeat and then want to get rid of it, whether mm. it's through self-induced vomiting, laxative abuse, or um, exercise bulimia. Mm -hmm. And so they would get a sponsor who used like they used, so they understand the subtleties of the recovery process. Yeah. Do, do you think it's common for therapists and even primary care doctors to bring up the issue 
of eating habits, not just your weight, but eating habits? And should we be doing more of that to explore how many people are actually suffering from disordered eating? Um, Should they? Yes. Do they? Some do, some don't. Um, I work for a large health maintenance organization. I've been with them 22 years. I'm also in private practice. And there's nothing that I learned in graduate school that helped me corner the addiction. Mm. It didn't teach me anything really useful. One of the things I like about OA is that we're not opposed to professional help. People that are dealing with a chronic physical illness or a behavioral health problems like bipolar disorder or chronic depression or anxiety, OA is not supposed to fix that. It's mm-hmm. not the replacement for science-based care. But just going to a therapist and telling them every week, I'm so fat, I'm so discouraged, I can't get up off the couch. Telling a therapist that week after week doesn't result in anything changing. So as a therapist in recovery, I bring up people's relationship to food and exercise mm-hmm. as, you know, because we, we talk about everything. Yeah. You know, we, you know, if people are not going to work, we talk about that. If right. people are sedentary or they're shut-ins or they're not going out of the house, we talk about that stuff. Now, I'm not a dietitian, although one of the things my sponsor had me do was get a dietary consult mm-hmm. to find out what should I be eating and in what amounts? Mm. And the recommendation from the dietitian was to get a food scale. And she said, if you weigh your food, you don't need to weigh your body. Mm. And then you, you log what you eat. And what I eat is not the same thing as everybody else because we have different alcoholic foods. Yeah. So, can, can you describe to me, Frank, because I, I've heard you mention alcoholic foods a few times. Are most of your alcoholic foods high sugar content, high fat content, and what are the range of so-called alcoholic foods that other people talk about as well? Um, Almost without a doubt, it's sugar, and for many people, it's white flour Uh, that that ignites the craving. I had heard somebody say once, dough is the devil, Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't happen to believe that. I believe some people can eat sugar, some people can eat white flour, without problems Mm -hmm. but the measure of truth is effectiveness i can't make a case for i can have one donut a day because i don't have the ability to stop yeah so my alcoholic foods include recreational sugar Mm -hmm. it also includes snack foods you know like chips and pretzels and popcorn Mm -hmm. fried foods french fries onion rings real and fake sweeteners Mm -hmm. Couldn't understand why I couldn't eat diet brownies and lose yeah. weight. Yeah. Salty nuts. Now, if I have a handful of almonds that aren't salted, not a problem. Yeah. When they're those blue diamond type, you know, sprinkled with goodness, there's yeah. no end to those for me. <laughs> so the sugar-free, fat-free foods, not doing those. Now, not everybody has this one, but for me, a red light food is peanut butter. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently when they say one tablespoon, they mean level. And I tend to go whatever I can balance. Don't tell me that. Yes. They do not mean level. Oh, no. They do. I've always considered that 
portion size, a heaping tablespoon yeah. that goes directly from the jar into the mouth, you know? Exactly. <laughs> the, other, the other interesting thing for me is cheese that I serve myself. Mm. You ever go to a party and they've got a cheese table out? Yeah. And you slice it and put it on your plate and you keep going back? I don't do well with that. But if I have a Caesar salad and they grate some parm on top, yeah. I'm good with that. I'm not in the kitchen sneaking more Parmesan. Yeah. So, it, so it's specific for me, it's cheese I serve myself. Yeah. Wow. The other interesting thing is alcoholic food behaviors. Mm -hmm. For some people, they have a history of going through multiple drive throughs and ordering as if they're having a party. Oh. And it's not for anybody else. drive throughs aren't a problem for me. But for me, it's, it's second helping. It's eating from bags, containers, or pans, mm -hmm. other people's plates. So those yeah. are my alcoholic food behaviors. I find it such a, an interesting insight because I keep thinking everyone wants to be able to let loose, especially around the holidays, um, to especially when you go out with friends. Um, yeah. And I look at some of the portion sizes that TGIF Friday and, you know, and that they serve. And this must be very difficult for a person with disordered eating who doesn't stop when they're full, because it's almost as if the societal signal is we're on, this game is on, let's go. How yeah. do you cope with that? Well, as long as I'm not having alcoholic foods on my plate, when I go to a buffet, I get a regular plate, not a toboggan. Okay. I get one plate of food, not going back for seconds. Yeah. And I look at the food many times and go, that is not enough food. Huh. And, but it's pre-committed. And sometimes the best I can commit is one plate of food. And as long as it's not like brownies and stuff like that, I do okay. Do you have to do mindful chewing, making sure that your digestion is good, um, changing the entire pattern of shoveling and not breathing and having that kind of dopamine rush to this is a nurturing experience? Mind, mindful eating is taught in many eating disorder clinics. And the term mindfulness is incredibly useful. Mm -hmm. mindfulness is being in the moment yeah so anybody who's ever watched television with with a bag of potato chips and they just go bag to mouth bag to mouth that's not mindful eating right so the recommendation is you take at least a half hour to eat without electronics on not mm -hmm. not everybody does this um it's one of the things that i do because i still enjoy my food mm -hmm. i have wonderful time and I stop with whatever I've committed to. I'm, I'm not going to mention names, but you probably have heard of the one where different amounts of food are worth different amounts of points. Mm. And so I would keep track of the points as I was eating. And when I got to the end of my points, I stopped counting points, but I didn't stop eating. Mm. And with Overeaters Anonymous, I was like, my commitment is one plate of food. Yeah, boy, you know, simple. It's very simple. My lunch is almost always the same thing. It's an 11-ounce bag of pre-washed lettuce, mm -hmm. um, about three ounces of shredded carrots, yeah. pre-packaged, pre-cooked, boneless, skinless chicken, uh -huh. six ounces. I microwave four ounces of brown rice, and I sprinkle it with um, 
oil and vinegar, um, mm -hmm. olive oil and vinegar. Yeah. That's my salad. And it looks like a toboggan, but it's 11 ounces of uh -huh. salad. And you and I would have never met if it was only about my relationship to lettuce. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. but this idea of a pre-committed amount. Yeah. There's there's freedom in there. Well, I think it's why so many people end up eating the same thing day after day because they find something that works. And it's just comforting in some ways to know that you're not going to overeat with that plan. You know what the portions, you know, do well by you and your, how your body reacts. And it kind of soothes people to know in advance what they're going to do and how they're going to be while eating. Correct. Bariatric medicine made popular a concept called selection limiting, which is, you know, your go-to foods that are exactly what you just said. It's comforting because you've eaten them abstinently mm -hmm. in the past. You know, I go to a, a particular restaurant and I order a two-piece chicken meal with, with broccoli and brown rice and two corn tortillas. And that, that's going to be my dinner tonight. And yeah. I've probably had it a thousand times. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't invent chicken. And and there's people in our program that are vegetarians or who are who are vegans or just can't take the texture of fill in the blank. Yeah. Then you don't eat that. But you need to, you know, a lot of us undereat to justify later overeating. Got it. I oh. did three moderate meals a day. Most of us do no snacks in between, but some people do. Yeah. Maybe a piece of fruit. And when we say a piece of fruit, we mean an apple, not a watermelon. Yeah. So so that it's so that it's reasonable. I I'm so um struck by both the empathy and the kindness that you show not just to yourself, but to the other members, of course, whom I haven't met, but I can imagine I've really become quite close because of this experience. Mm -hmm. Have you seen people's lives change dramatically because of their commitment to Overeaters Anonymous. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's not just achieving and maintaining a normal body weight, um, which is the goal of the program, but it's also the life that you get to have. Mm. You know, I was never athletic. Part of it was I was overweight. Part of it was challenging eyesight. And I didn't have a lot of hand-eye coordinations. And I would avoid situations where I had to be in just a bathing suit because I was mortified for how I looked. Mm. Having taken off 75 pounds, I now look like a normal bodied person on my stand-up paddleboard. Yeah, wonderful. It's, it's my sport. And, you know, paddleboards are not forgiving. If you're over a certain weight, you can't stand up because it's too much weight for the board. Mm -hmm. um, and I absolutely love it. I also have led it led a workshop on body acceptance because mm -hmm. too many people are missing too many things because they don't want people to see them with the amount of weight that they have gained or the effects of under eating where they're tired of people, you know, gasping when they see them. Oh my God, you're so skinny. Mm -hmm. And so one of, one of the things with body acceptance is you participate in life at any size, at any weight, no matter what. Mm. 
Dr. Patty, I have so enjoyed talking with you and I'm hoping that you'll agree to come back from time to time. I'm I'm thinking, especially going into the holiday season, people could use your comforting words and some of the advice that you're gleaning from your incredible um, conferences. If people want to reach out to you to find out more about Overeaters Anonymous, are you open to that? Absolutely. Awesome. How do people reach you? Um, probably the best thing to do is to go to OA Region Two. Okay. Dot org, um, and and then you just just send a message. You can send a message to the to the chair. The okay. chair. By the way, there's there's multiple regions, and I have yes. to be in Region Two. That's okay. California, part of Nevada, um, Hawaii, and parts of Mexico, and all of Mexico. Okay, and we will also link that in our show notes so that people have that available. Dr. Frank Patty, thank you again for being with us. Sheila, thank you for your time, your thoughtful questions, and genuine interest in things that can benefit your listeners. 